Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the growth, development, and advancement of the TLC arena, or what we call teamwork, leadership, and culture. Hi. For those who have not listened before, my name is Greg Gregory, the founder and host uh, host of the Teamwork Advantage. And we're excited to bring to you every week ideas that you can implement immediately in those areas. And the interesting part is getting messages every week from people saying, hey, thank you, this worked at work. And then somebody else will message and say, this idea was really helpful in my family life or helped me with my kids. So teamwork, leadership, cultural that's absolutely the powerful thing of what we look at every single week. And we're excited to have with us today, coming from uh, the Upper Northwest, actually in Canada, in the Vancouver area. Joining us today is Stefan Wiener. Woohoo! Pump it up. Uh, <laughs> Stefan is, and I, I had to ask him about this a little earlier. Stefan is a, a psychological safety expert. We're going to get into that as we go along. And his career is focused on developing sustainable, high-performance leaders and teams, as well as organizations. His passion for unleashing the collective potential of his people has led him to co-found three separate groups. First is Numi.com. It's the world's largest network of independent life coaches. Skillsetter.com, the deliberate practice of platform interpersonal skills, which is another fascinating part. And then Zarango the psychological safety training experts. A lot to go into here today in this time frame. Stefan has been a guest speaker for Ace Tech, CEO Roundtables, Scrum Master, Toolbox, um, as well as building Psychological Strength Podcast, and many other audiences interested in psychology. And I find that absolutely fascinating. So many of our guests are coming out of Stefan now with the idea of psychological work in the workplace, so that's fascinating. His writing has also been featured in Forbes Entrepreneur and as well as other popular publications. He's married with two children, enjoys quality time in the outdoors, hiking, biking, camping, and reading. And prior to starting today, he tells us he's also a volunteer firefighter and we hope his little pager doesn't go off because he is uh, experiencing snowstorms up where he is. And so if that happens, his little pager may go off and he may have to end our interview today. So we'll pay attention to that. Stefan, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Greg, thank you so much for having me and for the wonderful introduction. I really hope the pager doesn't go off. And if it does, uh, we'll, we'll deal with it. We'll deal with it, yes. We've always got to be able to deal with uh, obstacles that come our way. Things we can control and things we cannot control. So before we get into exactly what psychological safety expert is tell us about yourself how did you get that you didn't wake up one day and say hello world i am going to be a psychological safety expert tell us how you got to where you are if you don't mind well sure uh, how far back do i need to go well i mean my, say, my... we don't need to go back to when you were born okay <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so I, I was always really interested in um, organizational behavior. That was probably the one course in my business degree that really piqued my interest the most. I was always really fascinated with that concept of one plus one is three. You know, how do you take a collection of people and and excel beyond what's uh, potential, what's capable if you just have every single person working on their own? So that always really fascinated me, and um, and then. Fast forward, I started newme.com. So that's a business all around coaching. And so coaching is just that. It's the concept of putting two people in a room and you produce better results, right? So the the coach facilitates better outcomes for that person, whatever those outcomes are. Sometimes it's life-related. So, you know, maybe they just want to feel more confident, or maybe they want to lose a couple pounds or have a better fitness routine. And other times it's, you know, the CEO of a multinational corporation who wants to uh, build great cultures, have fantastic leadership and, and ultimately grow their business. So, and everything in between. And, um, and how I came upon the concept really of psychological safety is, is in that coaching work, because as a uh, individual offering and selling, promoting coaching in organizations in particular, I wanted to be able to provide um, a measure of the outcomes of coaching because so often, especially in this type of work, like leadership, culture, it seems so intangible. Yeah. And so how can we provide work that we know and trust is producing really great results and how yet be it. able to how to be able to measure it, right? Because sure, maybe the company grows by 20%, but could we say that was all because of coaching or was it the economic factors? Was it just, you know, they were at the right place at the right time? Who knows? And so one of the means by which I we measure the outcomes of coaching is to measure psychological safety before and after. Because when I looked at all of the coaching engagements that we were managing, and there's, you know, dozens of them. And, and, and looking at all the different people that were getting coached at any given point in time, whether or not it was stated explicitly, every single leader or manager was trying to basically be a better leader, foster more teamwork, be a better delegator, have more executive presence, et cetera, et cetera. And when I looked at the definition of psychological safety and I learned about it, I realized that's what ultimately what they're trying to do. They're trying to create an environment where their team can really thrive. And I know we haven't defined what psychological safety is yet for, for the mm -hmm. listeners, Greg. Uh, and I know we'll get there. The point is it can be measured and you can measure it before and after. And I thought, oh gosh, that's this is this is exactly what I need. I need a means of measuring the effectiveness of coaching. And as I got deeper and deeper into the concept of psychological safety, I realized, I think there's more here <laughs> and, yeah. and start well, measuring explore, it is right? absolutely critical because many of us, whether it was even in high school, learned the phrase our smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, reasonable, and timely. And so measurable is a key element of that. We have to be able to measure it. So if I'm setting a goal to be better at something, how am I going to measure that? So that's absolutely key. Yeah. So. Exactly. And the, the other benefit is you're not just measuring something that you can measure. You're measuring something that is well-known and well-demonstrated with the science and the evidence to be correlated with high outcomes, especially right. in an environment where there's a lot of innovation, there's a lot of change, and uh, teams, in order to thrive, really need to have 
solid information. And how do you learn as an individual? You learn by studying and listening and, and, but as teams, you learn by sharing information. And so sharing as long knowledge. as you have good quality sharing, then you have good learning as a team and you can solve problems much more yeah. uh, effectively. Now, one of my elements in the high-performing team is the sharing of knowledge. So that's absolutely critical. Yeah. So when did you start uh, Numi? So I started Numi, we started back in 2007, I think it was. 2006, yeah. we sort of had the idea, you know, we were chatting, my business partner and I, and then in 2007, we incorporated the business. So it's been 15 years now that we've wow. been, uh, okay. yeah, that, 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 that domain has been alive and, and well. So it's been a fun ride. So let's just, for the listeners, let's go ahead and spell that out. That's N-O-O-M-I-I.com. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. So obscure spelling. And, and many people ask, what does Numi mean? Where did you come up with that name? I was going right there next. <laughs> <laughs> and at, at the time that we, we first wrote our business plan, we had a slogan, which was, we is the new me. And so then uh, we wanted to come up with a name. And so we just thought, oh, new me, new me. But of course, N-E-W-M-E.com was taken and... So we had to come up with a unique spelling and it just seemed appropriate to have two O's and two I's because the whole idea with is two people, right? Two, the coach two and the more, coachee. Yeah. yeah, two or more. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, and we've been going ever since. So I, lo I love the concept in there. So let's get into it. What is psychological safety? Now, I've had some folks on the podcast in the past to talk about safety issues, whether it's OSHA requirements and such of that nature. We've talked about psychology, emotional intelligence, behavioral styles. So now we're marrying the two. So you want to share with us exactly. And I think you told me earlier, we got a definition from Harvard. That's right. So Dr. Amy Edmondson, she's a Harvard prof and researcher. And her definition of psychological safety is that it is a belief that within your team, you can speak up, say what's on your mind, express concerns, even admit mistakes, all of that without the fear of reprimand. So without any negative consequence of any form. And, um, and as I mentioned, it's correlated with high performance. So we know mm -hmm. the best teams have the highest degree of psychological safety. And similarly, the worst teams or the least performing teams have the lowest degree right. of psychological safety. So um, I'm going to take a little sidebar twist here for a second. For a lot of listeners who've heard me talk over the uh, years here now on the podcast, vulnerability trust uh, and predictive trust, predictive trust being you're going to do your job. Vulnerability trust is allowing yourself to be vulnerable so you can say things in that environment. So that's tying right in with exactly what Stefan's talking about here. Am I on right track? Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about this before the podcast, Greg, often in the world of psychology, there's uh, very similar or related concepts and they're just titled different things and, and people mm -hmm. look at them through slightly different lenses. So I'm not surprised as someone who's been working in teams and maybe you didn't hear of the term psychological safety, but you understand very quickly exactly. what the heck it is <laughs> because yeah. you're already talking about it, maybe with slightly different language. Yeah. And that's, and that's so powerful. And one of the things is I still haven't gotten a little bell over here. I want to ring when everybody talks about trust, because that is the key element to every team is being able to be comfortable enough with your team members to be able to do exactly this. 
without this, yeah. you can't begin to build. So, so talk yeah. to me a little bit about what psychological safety is and in the workplace. And so is it just between me and another worker? Is it between me and my uh, subordinate, between me and my boss? Where, how does this kind of come into play or is it all of the above? It's really all of the above. So you can measure psychological safety in a lot of different contexts. It is a team-based construct. So when we when we measure psychological safety, you typically measure it in the context of your team. And many of us are on more than one team, right? You might be the head of marketing and also part of, as a, as a direct reporter, subordinate, you're part of a leadership team or a management team. And, um, or you might be part of the sales team as well. So many people have are on different teams. And if you think about it, uh, you probably have slightly different experiences in each one of those teams. How, how comfortable you feel might be dependent on, you know, how long you've been with that team. It might be dependent on the leader of that team, uh, the members of that team, it, it, lots of different factors lead into how comfortable you might feel being able to speak up, say what's on your mind, share ideas, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and you can also measure psychological safety across an organization. So you can just say in general, in the context of working within company ABC or organization DEF, how comfortable do you feel being able to speak up and express okay. your concerns, et cetera? Yeah. Does this also apply? And again, my naivete here, does this also apply in other words, if you are a frontline employee and a senior level executive walks in and you tense up, I can remember when I was uh, in college, the senior regional vice president of the bank walked in and so many people, they tightened up so quickly because they were afraid to say things. Is that part of that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We know from the research that Leaders have uh, what I often say is an inordinate amount of influence over psychological safety because there is that power there. And, okay. and so it points to just the importance of modeling the correct types of behaviors as a leader, especially if there's one, two, three, maybe even you know however many layers within your organization. So if you're that mm -hmm. senior CEO, whatever it is, walking in and there's frontline staff folks on that floor you want to be really cognizant of how you interact with them to be able to create that environment where you say, I want you to speak up. And that could be really, really challenging. That could be really tough. Um, uh, you know, one story I heard was, um, you know, uh, you're probably familiar with the Toyota process improvement, you know, Kaizen whole, yep. uh, um, mm -hmm. that whole system for making incremental improvements. And so, one of the strategies that they do to implement that is they have people that are on the shop floor be able to pull a cord and stop the production line because maybe they're the drills not putting the bolts in correctly or whatever it is. So they can stop the production line, fix what they need to fix, adjust, et cetera, and then turn it back on. And in North America at automobile manufacturing plants, that was not the, like the, the, the philosophy was, the production line must keep going because every minute that it's down, we are losing money. And so the they were uh, trying to embrace this Toyota Kaizen uh, continuous improvement model. And it became so hard for folks in that environment to pull the cord to stop 
the production line because it had been ingrained in them for years, if not decades, do not stop the production line. And they, they, they had these executives that were in the production facility and they literally had to grab the gentleman by his hand, lift it up onto that cord and pull down. Something is not working right in your tiny little domain here. You need to stop the production line Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that cord, you know, lifting that, you know, it's like often when I, when I talk to about people doing sales and marketing, sometimes picking up that phone, it feels like a hundred pounds, right? You don't want to pick up the phone. Same sort of thing. It might feel like that, that cord weighs 150 pounds. uh, I resemble that remark. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think anybody who's ever had to make a cold call resembles that remark to some level. Uh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you talked earlier about being able to measure it. Let's, let's ask the question. How can you measure vulnerability trust or psychological safety? Yeah, so Amy Emmonson, again, the researcher from Harvard, she has seven, and that's, this is the beauty of it. It's seven questions. And, um, and so you administer those questions and it's well-validated, it's robust. We know there's the construct of psychological safety and there's this assessment and it's, it's actually measuring that. If you want, I can read out those seven questions to you. I would love it. And by the way, what I would love if you can do that, read it off here. So yes, but I would also love it if you can send it to me. Yeah. And I'll put those into our notes for the uh, podcast. Love it. Love it. Let's share the share this valuable information. It's not actually a question. It's more uh, how, to what degree do you- uh, Agree, disagree. To, yeah, you're going to- uh, Yeah, you're, agree, you're disagree. Yeah, yeah so and it's usually it's an a- assessment type thing. That's right. And it's a seven point scale. So I'll ask all of the listeners here to think about a team that they are, they are a member of or the leader of. And so okay. think about these questions in that context and answer them for yourselves on a seven point scale. So, um, you know- well, let, me, let me ask you this. As we're getting into this, because I do this in some of my workshops as well. If I am a leader of a team, but I am also a member of another team up a generation, is is it possible that somebody might want to do this twice in both contexts? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you can think about it. You can re-listen and answer the questions twice. One in each context. Absolutely. Go. And that would be interesting just to see, oh, wow, geez, I do think about it or believe that and it my is safety different. is it different. It can very much be different. It, it can, it very well it, can, can be. And we can actually turn it around then and make it part of a 360 for the team itself being on the hot seat as opposed to a person. That's right. And uh, an, another uh, aspect that I, I get often CEOs or leaders to do is they rate, so I'll ask you, rate you know psychological safety of your, let's say your leadership team, your senior management team, whatever you call it, your executive team. Mm-hmm. And then you want to say, okay, so you rate it, let's say ultimately eight out of 10 on average. Well, how would your rest of your team rate it? And uh, often they're like, ah, oh, I think they would maybe rate it about the same sort of score. And then I say, okay, well now how confident are you? They would rate it as high as you do. <laughs> and then that's where suddenly it's like, Ooh, I'm not actually that sure. And, you know, you start thinking about various incidences that may have occurred. Well, the beauty with psychological safety is just measure it. So take out the mystery, just, just measure it <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and okay. get rid of the mystery. So let's, uh, let's go through the seven statements. Seven so, questions or statements. Yeah, yeah. So, 
for seven statements. So how strongly do you agree with the following? And, and you would be, you know, strongly agree on the far right and strongly disagree on the far left. And you okay, also so want to be a, one is disagree and seven is agree. Seven. I would say uh, seven is strongly agree and one is disagree. Got strongly okay. disagree. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So if you make a mistake on this team, it is not held against you. Okay. People on this team always accept others for being different. There's that word always. <laughs> it is easy to ask other members of this team for help. Members of this team are able to bring up problems and tough issues. It is safe to take a risk on this team. No one on this team would deliberately act in a way that undermines my efforts. And my unique skills and talents are valued and utilized by members of this team. Okay. So you can see, uh, maybe you've seen uh, a few a few different aspects of it, Greg, right? There's, there's this feeling of, um, you know, you can well, two of the questions point to D, D E and I, right? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. inclusion. Yep. Right. Did you did you catch that? Mm -hmm. So the two questions in particular were people always on people on this team always accept others for being different. That's part of D E and I. And uh, my unique skills and talents are valued and utilized by members of this team. Mm -hmm. That's also part of D E and I. Right. Now my question is one question: the question about risk. Go back and read that mm -hmm. one again, if you would. I, I always find this one kind of fascinating myself. It is safe to take a risk on this team. It seems yeah. so ambiguous, right? It's it is how, because how much of a risk? It doesn't say where it could be. I might it might be safe to take small risks, but not take big risks. Right. And what if you're on the legal team versus the new product innovation team? <laughs> mm -hmm. What's the what's the tolerance and what does it mean to even take a risk in those two different environments? Right. And if you're on the OSHA group trying to make sure we're doing true safety, that could be yep. totally different too. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to go back to that because you did mention OSHA safety, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so fascinating. I um, was at the ATD conference earlier in the year, which is the uh, Association of Talent Development. So all these talent development, leadership development type individuals at the conference. And I ran into a couple that were from uh, big energy companies, you know, so they're doing lots of dangerous work and they were really keen on the concept of psychological safety and were embracing in their organization because they realized that their whole jobs were really centered on this idea of what they called incidences, right? So these are when someone gets injured or heaven forbid, there's a fatality in their work environment. And thankfully, most work environments don't have to deal with that level of physical risk and harm. And the reason why they were focusing on psychological safety is because in order for their organization to uh, avoid incidences, they realize they need to have forethought, right? You, this idea of being able to predict or foresee that there are risks and dangers and so on requires psychological safety because they need their staff to be able to say, you know what, this doesn't feel safe to me. 
or we could be doing this better. And in order for them to mitigate or avoid these catastrophes, these incidences, they need to have all of their people being able to have a voice to be able to say, you know what, we could do this better. Or if something like this happens, here's how we're going to, here's our action plan to mitigate right. any, you know, uh, exacerbated issues or, or fatalities or injuries, etc. And that's et the same so, example of pulling the cord from Toyota. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. So you're going to send us the list of those questions so people can download those and kind of work with them and go from there. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, so I want to know a little bit more. You, you, you sound like somebody who does a lot of research and conducts studies and things like that. Are you working on any studies right now regarding uh, psychological safety? Yeah, we are. Thanks for asking, Greg. So we are uh, right in the middle of a study where we are looking at the correlation between psychological safety within a team and their, the team leader or the manager's interpersonal skills. So the hypothesis being that the managers that have the best soft skills, if you will, are going to be the managers that are more prone to or likely to foster psychological safety in their team. Whether or not they're trying to do that explicitly, <laughs> that's kind of irrelevant. Or whether it's they just, know they're doing that, they're just doing it. They're just doing it. They're just showing up. They're being themselves. And the reason why we're, you know, they're, being able to do that requires two things. We need to be able to measure psychological safety. We've already talked about that. That's actually fairly simple to do. But we also have to measure interpersonal skills. And this is where it gets a little bit more tricky because we have to ask, we have to ask ourselves what skills in particular should we be looking at in the first place? And secondly, how do we measure them? And there is a really great precedent. And this is where our research into coaching really helped because we were actually asking ourselves, does coaching actually really work? <laughs> you know, we are healthy skeptics on a, on a service that we were promoting into the world. And there was limited research in that field. Whereas in counseling, there's a lot of research because it's been around a lot longer. And when we looked at the research, and, and those are fairly similar services, right? In both cases, you have um, in two people going into a room behind closed doors, and they're coming out trying to facilitate different behavior change. And maybe one is you're trying to have someone deal with depression and another environment coaching, you're trying to have someone, um, you know, double their output as a salesperson. So um, not totally dissimilar. And there's a study done back in 2009, I think it was, where they looked at interpersonal skills and they measured, measured them by demonstrating to the participant in the study uh, challenging moments in counseling. Because the belief was, look, anybody can be a good counselor if, a, if you have a really good client, right? Like if they're really open and, you know, they're, um, they're not difficult. And so, <laughs> you know, we found difficult, they found difficult clips and then they had actors um, act out the scenes. And then when the video stops, you need to say something as a counselor, you need to, okay, what do you say? What do you say to this person? And then they looked at the recording. So they would have, I think they had four clips and they, so they had each per participant respond to all four clips. You might respond for a minute, maybe 30 seconds. So they had maybe say two to five minutes worth of video data, and they were able to codify the behavior. So they looked for very specific skills um, that were demonst that demonstrated 
that effectively you were, your anxiety was low in these difficult moments. So you didn't show a lot of anxiety and you were able to approach the challenging situation with empathy. So those were sort of the core ingredients that they were coding the responses to. Mm -hmm. And when they measured those interpersonal skills, they were predictive of client outcomes years later, because these were counseling students. They hadn't even gone through their counseling program yet. And so they went through their counseling program. They got all their training. Then they started working with real live clients and they were measuring the outcomes of those clients. And these skills that they assessed were predictive of client outcomes years later, which I think is pretty fascinating. It's like thin slicing. Uh, maybe you remember, Greg, uh, quite a few years ago, I think maybe in Freakonomics or Blink or one of these uh, the one of these books, they were talking about, um, I think it was John Gottman, the John Gottman Institute, and they were able to predict divorce by looking at a couple for 10 minutes or something like that, just observing how they interacted with one another. And they could, with a something like 96% accuracy, predict whether or not that couple was going to get divorced. So that's thin slicing, right? You're looking at 10 minutes of data and predicting what's going to happen years down the and road. And that may be, you know, anywhere two, three, five, 10, 15 years later. Sure, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of doing the same thing. We're doing this thin slicing. And now we're, we're rather than showing challenging moments in counseling, we're showing ch challenging moments in a team. Mm -hmm. And so, so we that have, comes into play a little bit with your skillcenter.com organization. Because exactly. now we're talking interpersonal skills and tying them together. That's right. And when we looked at psychological safety and how you create a psychologically safe environment, there's likely many things you can do to try to do that. And we focus on those interpersonal skills as the core because we see psychological safety or your sense or any person's sense of psychological safety as kind of the sum total of all the different interactions that occurred up until today. So if you're in a team, you know, the first thing that was said to you and everything in between very well may influence how you perceive psychological safety in this moment right now. And so that's what we focus on. We help managers and leaders really have strong and comfortable and good and conversation generating skills as a manager or leader so that everybody all the time feels like uh, they have the courage to speak up and the confidence to know that when they do speak up, they'll be heard. And that's our definition of psychological safety, the courage so, to speak up and the confidence to be heard. So now the question comes from my end. Yeah. And when you go through any therapies and things, I always tie it all the way back to your childhood. Is it possible that some of this psychological safety belief uh, and the interpersonal skills belief come from what we learned as when we were four, five, six years old? I 100%. That is, I, I'm convinced. <laughs> Perhaps we can conduct a study to measure that or, or determine that conclusively, but I certainly see it, right? We're socialized as children to show up in the world a certain way. And it could be based on your culture, could be based on your, your gender, could be based on a number of different factors. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just look at a, a classroom of a kindergarten classroom full of five-year-olds, there's going to be some kids at the front, like, oh, pick me, pick me, <laughs> right? And then there's kids at the back. It doesn't matter 
how much you prompt them, it's going to be really challenging for them to speak up. And you're going to have those people in your team, right? There's going to mm-hmm. be some people you're going to have to tell them to stop talking. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, in a way that's not derogatory in a way that's not, you know, not, not going to um, put them, you know, put a negative light on it so that when they actually have something really valuable and they need to speak up, they're not going to, uh, you certainly don't want to do that. And, and there are skills that you can employ to try to really facilitate input from everybody equally. So what can a leader do on a more deliberate base here? What can leaders do to create better psychological safety on their individual teams? Let's not talk about global from the CEO suite, but now let's get it all the way down to our teams of, you know, eight or 10 people. Yeah. Well, the first thing I generally recommend is for leaders to just be attuned to what might be reducing psychological safety for themselves, for any person on the team. You want to start noticing what might cause them to bite their tongue or 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 stay quiet. And then you want to do something about it. And this is where I think the skills really come in to play, Greg, is being able to constructively move toward issues that you see within the team. And what we call that is the skill of reflecting process. So what is the skill of reflecting? You're, you you want to be a mirror for the other person or persons. And what is the process? The process is like the, what's happening in the team, the process of the team, how you set goals, how you communicate. And what you want to point out is, for example, maybe within the team, you have two really strong opinionated individuals and they're just going back and forth you know, they, they just won't agree. They can't agree. And, and it's almost like for everybody else sitting there, it's like watching ping pong or tennis. You're just going ding, 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 right back mm-hmm. and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, and so a, a comment that reflects process would say, you'd say something like, I'm noticing we're really stuck here because you both have really valid points and I don't see uh, us getting to a resolution here. So how might we change this conversation so that we can move forward as a group, as a team? Okay. And, and so I'm bringing a little bit of openness to it, some curiosity to it. I'm not saying you idiots can agree and you're not going to agree. So what the hell, like how are we, you know, that, that kind of approach is not going to work. You don't right. want to point, point blame and point the finger. You want to just invite participation from others to, Hey, and you want to keep the communication around the ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So leaders can open it up that way. Does it help if a leader uh, expresses some form of vulnerability for himself or herself to the team to let them know that, hey, it's okay, I'm telling you something about me? Is that helpful or not? Yeah, that's what we call a self-involving statement. And it's also really powerful because like you said, and like you noted, it's demonstrating vulnerability. So in what I just described, you, you, I might as a leader say, I'm noticing, you know, back and forth, we got this two strong opinions and I'm noticing in me that I'm starting to feel really frustrated or uh, it's causing me to, you know, it's causing my blood pressure to go up and I feel like I'm going to lose it and I don't want to do that. So just being able to have that kind of self-involving statement is likely helpful because it's giving everybody else in the room the opportunity to reflect on what's happening to them internally when they see two people duking it out because they might not be reacting the same way as you. Maybe they're, maybe instead of their, uh, you know, blood pressure rising, they're wanting to just run away 
Like they're wanting yeah. to kind of slink the away fight, and the fight or flight mindset. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so giving people and it's demonstrating that you you're self-aware and that you're able to express vulnerability. Like, Oh, I don't have all the answers here. I feel uncomfortable. How are we going to move forward? All very good points. So we talked about it from the leader's point of view. What can the leader do? So now let's talk about it from the frontline employee. What can I as an employee do if I want to get better and be more comfortable in my own psychological safety? Um, I mean, again, I know it from the vulnerability trust aspect, but what can I do here? Hmm. Well, as a team member, um, I think there is obviously uh, if you're feeling like you can't speak up, then obviously there's that like taking on that courage. So maybe you're someone that was always at the back of the classroom and reluctant to share. So finding the opportunity to actually share and making it incumbent upon yourself to make your point, get your point across. Um, we have two teams in our organization, really. We have sort of the coaching and training, and then we have software development team. And they're night and day. They're so different. The, the software development team is much, much more introverted, right? It's characterized yeah. by more kind of data, analytical, um, driven people. Driven. Right. Whereas on the training and coaching side, we have all of these, you know, on the disc profile, more of the eyes, right? <laughs> and, and whereas on the, on the software side, we have more of the, the C type people. And those yeah, are, those I, are like, because those are diametrically opposites. That's, that's and right. So we have, that's, that can be a challenge. That is, that is a challenge. So I'm, I'm, you know, able to see both of these two environments and in the, in that C environment, the, the, where you have all these analytical kind of data-driven type people, we need to um, encourage folks to speak up. And one of the ways, one of the strategies that we do, we use for doing that is we provide everybody with the agenda ahead of time. So someone who's high, a high eye, right on that disc profile you just ask them a question, they're going to come up with some sort of good answer, right? They're going to sound clever and, and you know, formulate a, a good response on the spot. Whereas someone who's more introverted, you need to give them more time, more preparation. Mm -hmm. And if we get everybody to write down their comments ahead of time, it's everybody shares, everybody right. shares. And, and, and so that would be my invitation for someone who's really reserved and quiet, ask for more advanced notice on what the agenda is ask for specific questions you know are there specific questions i can think about ahead of time so that i can be more prepared mm -hmm. because for me being put on the spot doesn't work i find that really challenging right. and so because i don't and and part of it is about their own personal risk tolerance right someone who's very data driven analytical they don't want to speak and feel like their words are not carefully considered because if they say something that is not accurate or incorrect, they don't want to have to go back on their word later. Right. So it's a, a matter of integrity, I think for them. Right. And, and so we need to have those folks ask for things ahead of time to be mm -hmm. able to contribute in the meetings or within a team environment. So let me just ask it this way. You, you gave a great example there of, you know, the, the and the I type person. What happens when we've got two different teams 
both of which are more C conscientious in the disc profile. Both are more thought provoking. They need to listen. And now all of a sudden they need to communicate with each other and they're not. For example, I know one of our sectors that have, we have a good listening audience on is in the uh, help desk world, the call center world. Uh, a lot of folks listen there. And so they're, they're the operators. And then there's the software developers that are putting things together. So all of a sudden now the developers or the dev team and the ops team are not speaking correctly. Yet they're mm -hmm. both very much that other style. And that does happen a lot of times. You've got two teams that need to interact and they're difficulty in doing so. What, do you, what, what can be done there to increase that psychological safety for both groups? Is it the same mm -hmm. thing for both? Well, what's interesting, remember I, I said as a leader, what you want to do is you want to make a process comment. You want to reflect process, what's happening. And maybe all you need to do is say, look, I'm noticing that you have two, you have two teams, ops and dev, and you guys operate differently. Over here in the ops team, this is how you tend to do things and get things done. Over here on the uh, ops team, dev team uh, yeah. the, the dev team, sorry, um, here on the dev team, you do diff things differently. So now I'm just noticing the difference. How can we bridge this, this gap? So you as a leader, you don't necessarily have to have the answers. All you need to do is notice what's going on and point it out to let the team figure out, okay. well, this is how it would really work for me. And then the team can actually do the same thing. Hey, listen, I'm noticing this right now. If I'm on the ops or on the dev, I'm noticing we're having difficulty on this. Let's talk it out. Yeah, okay. exactly. So see how that's, you're teaching folks to fish, not just giving them a fish. I used that exact example last week with somebody. Exactly. So that's, that's fascinating. So what's the challenge? Where are people struggling today in this? And again, we're looking at it coming, emerging. We're not out of yet a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Has psychological safety been challenged more because of the pandemic? Has it gotten easier now? Have people come to rely on conversations like we are today over Zoom? Or are they still just doing what they do and siloing and everything else? I'm just kind of curious what you're finding. Well, what I'm finding is that, first of all, there's tons of teams that have gone remote. And they're having to deal with either a remote work environment or a hybrid work environment. Mm -hmm. And the challenges there is that you lose a lot of fidelity, right? When all you're doing is meeting on Zoom as a team and maybe in different environments, they even turn off their video camera, right? So all you, you don't even know if someone's actually paying attention. They might be putting themselves on mute and making dinner for all you know. Um, and so you lose a lot of uh, information that we as humans pick up on, all these social cues and so on. So you have right. to be particularly, as a leader or manager, particularly attuned to how your team is doing so that's the first trend is this, you know, managing within a different remote or hybrid work environment. The second is around mental health. It used to be that what happens at work and what happens at home, those two things are separate, but suddenly you are working from home and you had kids running in the background and your cat walking on your monitor or on your keyboard and, you know, 
dogs barking, et cetera. And that just became normal, right? Because everybody was working from home. And so we got this glimpse into everybody's home work-life balance. And so the concept of work stays at work and home stays at home and those two there should never cross over yeah. uh, kind of went away. And I think that was generally a good development. Most people, so the idea of being able to talk about mental health and have conversations around how are you doing? How's your stress levels, anxiety levels, et cetera, became normal. And I think that paves the way for more psychological safety that paves the way for, okay, well, we can talk about our mental health. Well, now, well, let's talk about our business processes and how we define our goals. And let's talk about, you know, some of these other bigger um, issues that affect our performance. It affects our culture. It affects leadership, et cetera. So um, I think it, it's been a really good involved, a, a good development globally across mm -hmm. many cultures. And of course there's pockets where it's been probably regressed and other pockets where it's uh, gone it's way better. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about one that may have regressed. And are you, are there any, are there, listen to my English here. Is there any method that can be done that's different when we're talking about a remote team and trying to increase the psychological safety um, as opposed to when we were all in person? Uh, well, I think the strategy for a leader manager there is, is to have really good, um, just open dialogue with your people one-on-one -on -one okay. and within a team. And I don't think it has to be always kind of results oriented. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a lot of teams pre pandemic, they would have a morning scrum or a morning, you know, agile scrum kind of stand up meeting, whatever they called it. Right. Where mm -hmm. it was, okay. You, the agenda was what's your, what's your big initiative? Are you, you know, red, green or yellow on it? And what resources do you need? You know, it's very business oriented. And now I think you can do that. And it's also really good to leave time for people to just say, I had a great weekend, um, really stressed about this and that, or, you know, being able to just voice whatever it is that's going on for you so that you can connect as humans, because we don't bump into each other in the hallway, obviously, right. when we're working the remotely, right? The, the expression I've been using over the last couple of years is the water cooler conversations have ceased. So. They've ceased. They're just gone. They're yeah. just gone. So you need to facilitate that water cooler conversation. This has been fascinating on so many levels. Um, if folks need to reach you, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? Because I, I mean, I could go on for another hour on this and I try to keep the conversations to about 40 some minutes. So let's talk a little bit. How can people reach out to you, Stephanie? Well, Greg, the first thing I'm offering to podcast listeners is uh, to measure their team's psychological safety. So we've talked a lot about that and we are going to provide those questions. So you can go ahead and, and uh, ask your team the questions, or you can have me administer it through uh, a quick survey that we'd send out to everybody and they can just click away and mm -hmm. I could produce a, the, uh, the advantage is I'll give you a nice report um, that breaks it down a little bit. So that is available at Zarango, Z-A-R-A-N-G-O.com forward slash free PSI. So PSI stands for psychological safety index. So it's free PSI. So I'd love for people to uh, take advantage of that. Just fill out the form. We'll get on a quick call. We'll coordinate it and we'll make that happen. The next thing is on LinkedIn. I'm re relatively active on LinkedIn. And I'd love for you to search me up. 
um, and connect with me. Love to connect with any listeners that are here today and just want to learn more about psychological safety or have a conversation. I'm, I'm all game. So my URL there is linkedin.com forward slash I N forward slash S Wiedner S my first initial for my first name. And then Wiedner W I E D N E R. And Greg, I think you'll probably be able to share that in the, yeah, we'll the, put that the out there. podcast notes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah fantastic. Absolutely. Folks, every week on the Teamwork Advantage, we get ideas that we can implement immediately. And Stefan has provided us with that. We're going to have those questions uploaded, as he said, uh, in the show notes. So um, don't go away from here too fast. Make sure you go back and find the show notes. We'll make sure those questions are there with the scaling and everything of that nature. So you can download or you can be able to just copy those out of the show notes. But every week, the ideas are really powerful. And he's given us some of those today of what we can do as leaders, what we can do as team members to increase our psychological safety all the way across the board. And that is the first step. He, and he got into a little bit of the second step that we talk about often on here of conflict and making sure we got the right communication going. So the idea is very simple. Start doing something. Knowledge is not power without application. Take the first step here. Take the assessment. Find out where your team is. Put it out there in that direction. Once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, you get ideas you can use immediately. And again, Stefan has given us all of those. Next week, we're going to bring you another guest. We're going to have a whole lot of fun talking about that as well. So until next week, remember that having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage podcast, we know that you are not average. So go out and make today an excellent, an exceptional day. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.